You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and Express Magazine, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined today by my co-host, Annette Hinkle, the arts and living editor of the Express News Group, who's filling in today for Joe Shaw, who's literally gone fishing. Good morning, Annette. Yeah, ironically, with my husband, too. So <laughs> they're on a date. So. Oh, nice. I, hey, hope they catch, I hope they catch the big ones. Catch Our guests dinner. this week are Denise Civiletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Chrissy Sampson, Deputy Managing Editor of the East Hampton Star. Good morning, Chrissy. Hello. And Brian Cosgrove, host of the Afternoon Ramble right here on WLIW-FM. Good morning, Brian. I am the token non-distinguished journalist. Oh, you're pretty distinguished. No, I'm not a a journalist and I'm not distinguished, but I'm very happy to be here. Thanks. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, so let's jump off, uh, uh, Chrissy. Something that that uh, that your paper and 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 our paper wrote about this week. Adam Potter has has new plans for commercial development and um, and some residential um, affordable housing and regular housing in in Sag Harbor. He's uh, he's at it again, huh? He is at it again, and this time he's scaling it down in size and intention, I guess. Um, claiming that it will it will fit into village code, you know, with with few issues. But, you know, I think that he's still going to face an uphill battle from the public, like the public court of opinion on this project. I, I already I think we we saw on on social media after we posted the story, there's there's still some some uh, there's already some some backlash. Um it went yeah, so down what, from 79 units to 39 units, um, of which 19 would be considered affordable apartments. And he's I, saying we heard 79 units is way too many. Um, <laughs> but is 39 the right number for Sag Harbor? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I what's also, you know, I also number. wonder about the commercial component of it because he's talking about commercial use. It's like I, I, I just think do we really need more commercial space? I mean, we all, we have a very vibrant um, business community there. And do they, do we really want to add more competition to the businesses that have operated pretty well there for decades? You know, I mean, I just wonder if everything he's got in that plan is really needed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously he's got a, he's got a, he's, he's sunk a lot of money into the property there and he's got to try to make that money back but but i agree it sounds like a lot of commercial space i think what's he what's he talking about Ten thousand square feet which under village village zoning would be a uh considered a superstore even if it's broken up into into a bunch of different businesses so he may need some kind of uh you know special exception permits for that although that's that's been argued in in recent days on whether that's uh, open to interpretation or not the whole superstore um law thing but he he it, Chrissy says he he's um he's learned from his his past mistakes and he's listened to the to the community and um you know and and that's why um you know why he's, he's reduced the proposal he's also pre, uh, proposing to build a little a little park and a and a community center and give some nonprofits um free free office space. So it sounds like and he's sorry to interrupt. No, there's also a performing arts space or something, you know, along those lines. And the thing that struck me is like Sag Harbor has no shortage of that. You know, it's actually one of the reasons why I love Sag Harbor because I can go to street i can go to the church i can go like to any number right. of places you know and yeah. hear live music and shows and plays you know it's yeah that was my and, thought it's like is he really tuning into what is needed in the in the village you know um that's big and like i well, said the, i can the performing art space do we think that maybe that you know that he can't say yet but maybe that that would be the new bay street theater or not he actually said to our reporter chris gangemi 
He said it is 100% not tied to Bay Street Theater. Right. Okay. They're not leasing it. They're not buying it. It would be complimentary to Bay Street, providing, for example, Nancy Atlas with a venue to play in the village when the theater is booked, as it often is in the summer. So what about parking? How many parking spaces is he going to provide with, the, with all of this? I wonder. Well, he and just he, recently got that uh, lease for the gas. That, ball that's lot, right. So. And that see, that's not that's not making any friends, I don't think, in the village, mm-hmm. because this was the the former key span lot that um, that had been used for free public parking when the lot was leased to the village of Sac Harbor. And he recently was given the, um, the long term lease on that property. Right. That's from what I understand, mm-hmm. which means that he now controls it rather than the village which is um, upsetting a lot of people, right? It takes effect in December, I think the end of December. So it's not yet in his control, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but that's the idea that, you know, money talks, he outbid the village on the lease. Right. So that doesn't really, you know, endear you to the the public when the one public lot is now in private hands. So I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I just, is this... um... Is this still the old 7-Eleven property that he wants to build up? No. No, this is that no. property um, that's sort of adjacent to the Sag Harbor Post Office, that lot, you know, the empty lot. That's where he you know, wants the property, to put the, the That would just be that. that no, yeah. then that would be behind that. Do you know there's that behind okay. the, the, the Main Street stores? There's the IGA, if, behind the IGA is that didn't block. He, didn't, he put, didn't he put the 7-Eleven property back up for sale after... Yeah, I believe so. But I don't think there's been any movement on that. So this has just shifted a little bit to the south, this whole okay. development he's looking okay. at. Yeah, it's it's 1.4 acres um, bounded by by Bridge and Rose Streets north of north of gotcha. the uh, main village. I, I was just line. curious. Uh, I'm sorry. I was just curious about yeah. what's going to happen with that 7-Eleven property. Yeah, I think you, you and everybody else. <laughs> because I know he bought it for, I remember he bought it for like $13 million and then when the whole thing he decided or whatever happened that he wasn't going to build a new Bay Street or whatever, then all of a sudden he it went on the market for like 25. And I remember talking with Brian Boyhan on our weekly feature and there was people who were interested. I mean, he doubled his money, put it on the market, but I haven't heard anything since. You don't double your money till you actually sell it. I'm thinking. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, I <laughs> understand that. to double his money, but no. yeah, I get it that. Not, it hasn't sold as far <laughs> as I know. But. I get it. Um, well, I, I I don't. I guess you know he he. Uh, so he hasn't filed any applications yet, as 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 far as we know, as of as of Tuesday when we first uh, you know when the you know the story first came out. Um, so uh, village officials haven't weighed weighed in on it yet, and I guess time will will tell whether this is a more um, um, applicable, you know, application than, than, you know, than, than the, you know, the, the affordable apartments and commercial spe- space that he had proposed before the bigger proposal. Um, mm. you know, and it, it feels like he's, um, I, you know, I, 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 you know, he's, there's a lot of animosity towards this guy, but it, it sounds like he's trying at least to, to give a little back to, to the community with, um, you know, with talk of this, you know, community center or, or whatever it is, and 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 the park there, um, do we, you know, do we, do we think maybe he learned a lesson, Chrissy, or, um, I wouldn't maybe go that far, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, he does seem to be acknowledging at the very least that there were some issues with the original plan, and I mean by some right. issues, I mean like significant issues, but, um, you know, I think that. Everyone's going to be watching very closely, and yeah. there will be no shortage of public opinion shared on various mediums. So, so I was, I was curious: was, were any of his previous plans actually officially submitted for village approval, or was it all just the court of public opinion? You know, I don't think that the the, the Bay Street Theater program or uh, plan ever actually went to the village for approval i don't know I if that not. bigger plan did it and I, this one has it so i think that's what's kind of curious bigger, is that, right the bigger plan hit that roadblock when the state supreme court overturned the zoning law that the village right. had um established that let that allowed mr potter to like then immediately submit his well not submit you know but like announce his first plan 
but it's never really gotten any serious review by the village, any of no. his plans, right? Not not before the regulatory boards, no. No, and, and certainly there's going to need to be, you know, state environmental reviews of, you know, the property and all that and the flooding. And he says he can mitigate the flooding, you know, with a big tank and and, and all that. But those were some of the big concerns there. And when you're when you're in Sag Harbor, I mean, that's that's got to be a huge concern, you know, is, is the flooding, especially in, in that lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and you know, and, and you brought up an interesting point that you know, what had allowed him to to introduce the, you know, the previous um, plan was that, you know, the village law, you know, to allow affordable housing above commercial properties. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't have it right in front of me, but it was like third three story, three story structures with affordable housing, um, you know, increased density. And as Chrissy pointed out that, you know, that was was overturned and the village is kind of going to start again. And I don't know if they're going to introduce a new affordable housing law, um, but I don't know density wise what, um, you know, what the new proposal, if, you know, if if that would even be viable without um, without that affordable housing law. Certainly you want to see affordable housing um, on the East End in, in general and, 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 and you know, in, in Sag Harbor, although, I mean, some would argue that it's not the village's responsibility to provide that much affordable housing, but we sort of know what, um, you know, how big an issue is it, it is. So if he wants to provide some affordable housing, that's certainly in his favor. Yeah. Well, village businesses get affected by not having personnel, right, or staff, right. and if they can't, you know. That's and big... now it, they'll be impacted by not having parking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and addition, an additional competition if you get new stores opening underneath all of that. Yeah. You know what? Kind of shifting gears a little bit. You know, I found it interesting that uh, this situation, this tragic situation with those, uh, Bill, those um, those five Osprey at Southampton College. Yeah. That were found, yeah. Right. In one of the buildings. Um, that from what I understand, there was somebody who was going there who was his idea might have been to take some of those buildings and possibly turn it into trade or vocational schooling, you know, and I've always thought that 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 would be a nice location, some of those old dorms for affordable housing. It, it, it would. I mean, um, yeah, I, I did want to I did want to talk about the. um, um the uh, the osprey or or eagles that were that were founded at southampton college oh, it they, was there might have been eagles in there well i mean i mean it's it's, it's debatable it was the the person that you were you were referring to frank devito he's a southampton cro- contractor and we did write a story that you know he and a bunch of guys do want to um um start a you know kind of a a, a votech school and they were looking you know perhaps at at the uh, Stony Brook Southampton College campus for that. And that's an interesting thing too. I mean, there's really no vocational programs on the East End and and certainly college is not the best option for a lot of people, um, you know, and, and so I think that's an interesting idea, but yeah. So, so he was kind of snooping around the campus, I, I think, and he, you know, and, and he, um, um, he he happened upon this building. It was the Mumford Studio, um, which is a you know a, it's a four sided pyramid roof building um, that's uh, um, ironically right next to or behind the campus police station. And and he was kind of looking in the building and and he noticed um, these dead birds um, inside. And apparently the birds he thought they were eagles. Um, we had some experts who looked at pictures that we took and 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 um, said they were ospreys um but there's still some confusion i guess they could have been eagles but it looks more like they were they were ospreys but yeah it looks like they had kind of had a um they had had a, a nest um on the top of of the building there was it was an opening there so there was a canvas tarp um and apparently that had uh, looks like that collapsed and the and the nest then and and the the birds uh, looks like a couple parents and some some um, baby birds kind of fell into the building and weren't able to escape in the in the hot summer heat and kind of just um, yeah. tragically baked to death um, in 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 the building and 
um, it, it, it's a comment I think on you know we we've written and editorialized before the, the you know the condition of of that campus and there's just multiple um, multiple condemned buildings on on the campus and you know including um, the windmill right including the windmill was just recently condemned and you know yeah. I mean, Stony Stony Brook you know I mean every time we ask them they say oh yeah we're gonna we're going to fix up the campus and take care of the campus, but it doesn't seem like a, a lot of is getting done. And this is just, you know, this, you I know. guess Fred, Fred Thiel hasn't uh, mentioned anything about this latest unfortunate situation that with the birds and everything over there. No, he is did. That- he, certainly he commented on it and, you know, and, um, you know, he, he, he once again, um, you know, hit back at, uh, at, at the college, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I did you know, we, we, yeah. we can all, we can all criticize the college. Nothing, you know, nothing happens and, and nothing gets done. And, um, right. you know, the Osprey are protected birds. And if they were eagles, I don't, I don't know that that's, I mean, that's pretty bad, bad too. I mean, they're, they're protected. I don't know if there's a big difference between the two, but it's just tragic and sad. And, um, yeah, Stonebrook's really got to get on the ball there and and figure yeah, out you, what's. Uh, you have yeah, that, that massive property sitting there, and this incredible lack of affordable housing out here, and uh, it just seems like such a waste to have all of that acreage. Sure. Um, I mean, I think when our our reporter Steve, when he was up there, he said he saw not a soul, like nobody, when he went up to check out that building. Like not no campus security, no, no nothing, and it's just sort of you've got this pristine property sitting there that's just sort of yeah. I don't I don't go up there much, but our our transmitter is up there, mm-hmm. up on that hill still because that's where the station originated at the college, and it's going to stay there. Um, our engineer goes up there uh, a fair amount of the time. You know, the just to kind of go back to Fred a little bit. I mean, I I know Fred just a little bit, and uh, I like Fred. Um, but I would not want to be on his bad side. And I'm kind of surprised that they're just Stony Brook is just kind of blowing off so far, not making at least an attempt to make a comment or, you know, say, hey, look, you want to help us or just just anything to to, to do something. I mean, they they did they did comment, um, you know, in an unattributed statement. <laughs> um, you know, they said they were saddened by the loss of the Osprey um claiming that the you know the nest was damaged in a storm so they're taking no responsible responsibility for that um you know uh blah 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 we value the importance of wildlife and take these incidents seriously um seriously we're aware of the need for repairs to the condemned buildings plan to address this need are underway um which is the same old same old in 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 my opinion and that's kind of what um, you know what what Fred said is it's it just always seems to be the the same old response and you know mm-hmm. and not to your point if if they're not going to do anything with the campus then you know then 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 let it be used I, I you've got all those dorms up there I think some were condemned and you know and some are some were 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 renovated but yeah I mean you know what let let yeah. people live there wouldn't that do be something. a nice application of the community housing fund revenue? you know, for Southampton town to maybe jump in and buy a piece of it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And plus and if the, the hospital's going to, if the hospital's going to move there, what a great place to have um, some mm. uh, affordable housing opportunities. And then, you know, I know Fred has in the past even tried to talk about getting the Long Island Railroad to reinstitute that station. There was a train station at the college years ago. And, you know, that would be such a logical place to, have a train station if you're having a hospital there. So There's absolutely for that too, because in Stony Brook proper, up on the North Shore of Central Suffolk, there's a train station in Stony Brook on the campus. It's the community train station, but it abuts the campus and they have access to that on the campus. Yeah. Hmm. It's such a great location, obviously. That's you know, right there by 39 and Hill Street. And you know, it's 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 a great location. For people really to go is. back and forth, and yeah, I, I think you know, prior to the pandemic, Stony Brook was was very excited about building the hospital there and talking about what they would do with the campus and and it would turn into um, you know healthcare, you know, education for healthcare workers and and mm-hmm. housing for healthcare workers. But 
um, you know, while they still where they say they still want to build the hospital there, they've got to raise a tremendous amount of money. Um, and and it feels just like that effort has has stalled. So, you know, again, maybe it's time to do something different in the meantime. You're listening to Behind the Headlines um, on WLIWFM. Um, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. My co-host this week is Annette Hinkle, Arts and Living Editor. Um, we are joined by Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star, and Brian Cosgrove right here from WLIWFM. Um, let's change tax a little bit and get Denise into the conversation. Um, um, Riverhead, uh, Riverhead's largest solar plant um, in in uh, in in the town. Apparently, you guys were. We're doing some digging and discovered uh, something pretty interesting up there, huh? Uh, I, right. Honestly, it didn't require too much digging, to tell you the truth, because, you know, this is Riverhead, and things are just sort of like those kinds of things just sort of bubble up to the surface every once in a while. But um, the um, so last month, we got a, um, a press release from uh, the uh, joint venture that built this a Calverton Solar um, facility on Edwards Avenue, which to date is the largest operating solar uh, facility. It's a 22, almost 23 megawatt solar panel facility. Um, and um, they they were celebrating one year of operation. And the thought crossed my mind, well, gee, that's, that, that's been an operation all year. I don't know. So we have um, an intern this summer and I sent him over there to, you know, Go to the go to this press conference, and the supervisor was there speaking about what a great thing this was, et cetera. It was, you know, okay. Um, and then at, we get um, the resolution packet last th- on Thursday of uh, last week um, for the upcoming meeting this week, and um, it has all of these references to. Um, well, it's it's pertaining to a community benefit agreement. So um, an agreement under which the operator of this, it's a joint venture between Nextera Energy and National Grid. And um, they were to pay the town uh, one and a half million dollars in um, a com- community benefit money uh, to um, get permission to build this. I guess that's the kind of thing that goes on with these things. And the, the town, the agreement said how the money was going to be spent, et cetera. And the town, it seems, wanted to amend that, that agreement in terms of like where the money would go for other reasons that raise eyebrows around here. But um, so in the recitations of that resolution, they refer to the date on which um, they got a temporary certificate of occupancy. and. Um, Lo and behold, it was in March of this year. Of this year. Of this year. So it was like, well, like that doesn't sound like a whole year's worth of operation, right? <laughs> so we started asking, and well, it turns out that the the facility was energized last July, and um, it started actually distributing uh, electricity to the LIPA grid on August first of last year. And um, didn't have a temporary CO issued until towards the end of March of this year. And why is it still temporary? Well, the te- they couldn't get a final CO because of some um, dead plant, like dead bushes on the, like landscaping. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it was kind of silly. But even if they got the final CO, they didn't get it until March, which. You know, kind of begs the question, well, you know, was everything, were all the final inspections done? Like, how does this happen? And unfortunately, we were not provided with any, you know, substantive answers to that, because that's just, as you know, how things go sometimes. So, you know, we've got FOIL requests out there and stuff, but um, it's kind of wacky. Like, you know, this is a really big, major thing. And I I have no doubt that um, to the extent that they were allowed to that the you know the fire marshal's office it's you know did their appropriate inspections and signed off on these things but 
you know, it's a little bit unsettling. And when you consider, you know, the hundreds of acres of like solar panels that are going up and still proposed um, in the Calverton Hamlet over there in the area of like Edwards Avenue, where there's a big LIPA substation. That's like you know, solar it's, solar central up there, yeah, right? It's, it's just a little unsettling. I mean, there was a lot of focus on the, on the landscaping for this for screening purposes because area residents were not ha- are not happy with all of these solar panels and you know what they look like and um, you know they come like this one for instance comes with its own sort of not mini because it's not really a small thing, but it's on like substation on the site that converts the energy to send to the LIPA sub- substation. So it's got these poles and wires and things. And, you know, residents were like getting all this stuff here. This was all farmland. And, you know, we hate seeing this. Like th- this particular site wasn't farmland for a long time. It was a golf course prior to, uh, you know, prior to this. But, um, it's a little unsettling that this kind of thing happens, to say the least. I don't know, especially when you consider, the, you know, this other story we were talking about earlier before we went on the air with, you know, things that have been happening at um, these battery storage facilities that right. serve solar facilities and are needed in order for solar faci- solar facilities to actually make good sense in terms of the, the electric grid. Um are are we are we as 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 a as a community as a nation are we just I, I I mean we we want to turn toward the green energy systems are we just in such a rush though um, to 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 move to alternative energy sources that that we're not dotting the i's and crossing the t's and you know I I mean I feel like. We're in such a rush because we have really we're so late to the game here with this stuff. Right. I mean, you know, it's a we this is like, you know, unfortunately, this is maybe human nature, but it's certainly our our government. It's like you're you know, we they wait until there's a crisis and then they act and then they're in a hurry. And the crisis, of course, being, you know, climate change and carbon emissions. Um, the other so, the other big issue you never hear about is the fact that those batteries, a lot of them require cobalt, and cobalt is mined in Africa, and a lot of those cobalt mines are being snapped up by Russian and Chinese interests, and um, so there's all sorts of like humanitarian issues going over there about the seizing of of um, the minerals in Africa and who controls that. So um, yeah, batteries don't you know don't just create themselves, and so that's another right. thing that I don't feel like you've gotten heard much about is where the cobalt is coming from for the batteries and who actually is controlling that. And I think even the the Wagner Group, you know, the Wagner Group or whatever that is in Russia, is is largely um, involved in mining a lot of that um, stuff in mm-hmm. Africa. So does um, that does that also mean that cobalt is a finite? renewables energy yeah source. and apparently <laughs> most of it i think most of it comes from af uh from those like some of those african nations although i think i did see something that maybe near the sultan sea out in california there's a there's a a, 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 a pod depository of it and that that's also like the only maybe source of of the battery um minerals that we need are out there in that kind of interesting part of southern california um, but yeah, that's it, it's just it's interesting reading. I if you uh, if you're interested at all in the cobalt cobalt scene, you could probably find a lot about it um, on or, some of the. Is cobalt used in li- in the lithium batteries? Or I is think that there's different two. Kind? Con- I okay. think lithium is one of the mineral, but cobalt is the other. So I'm not sure. You know what kind of batteries are are use cobalt versus lithium? You know if lithium okay. is more the little you know scooters that burst into flames, or if it's yeah. the cobalt is used for these larger facilities. I, I don't know a lot a lot about I it. Mean, but the know. facilities that had these fires this uh no, this summer or all lithium battery facilities batteries I yeah. think that's probably the most common type of yeah. battery yeah, storage. That's, that's a good batteries. question. Like I'm not sure if the cobalt batteries are more for um like electric cars or what they're what they're used for or how they're or if they're transitioning from lithium to cobalt. I, I don't really know. 
Annette, I think that might be the case, or there that's one of the areas that are being explored. I mean, the thing we have to remember here is that it's like this is an evolving industry, you know what right. I mean? Like it's under right. it's it's evolving as they're being built. So right. that's never a good position to be in when it comes to, you know, energy production, I don't think. Um Yeah, I mean, especially if you build something and then suddenly the technology that you're using becomes totally obsolete, and then you have right. these facilities sitting there that aren't relevant anymore you know or they have ca catastrophic fires and i mean yeah. like none of these fires luckily was a catastrophic fire like uh one that i think happened in arizona a few years back um but you know the potential they have, is there, they have the know? potential i was just gonna yeah. say so so just to, to to back up a little bit governor kathy hochel yeah. Um, th this week, um, set up a working group to look at these, um, battery energy storage system facilities. Um, one of which a proposal for, for one of which has, has drawn, um, you know, a lot of, uh, negative feedback in, in, in Hampton Bays, but there were, there were three fires in, in New York state in these facilities. One of them was in East Hampton, um, just a short or a short time ago. And so now all of a sudden, after pushing, 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 you know, the state is saying, so we need to look at this and we need to make sure they're safe and, and all that. And um, at the same time, just a week ago, Southampton Town Board came in and um, approved a moratorium on, on these proposals um, after pushing, 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 passing legislation. I think it was um, it was in. Uh, 2020 or 2021 during you know the heart of the uh, height of the uh, the pandemic where they approved these battery energy systems um to be to be built in in Southampton town and in, in different um in in different areas and um you know the, so one of these proposals was Hampton Bays by Shinnecock Canal and and neighbors have been you know um you know carrying uh signs and pitch pitchforks for you know for for the last few months objecting to this concerned about fires and officials have been saying no there's nothing to worry about these facilities are safe and um kind of discounting some of some of the concerns but uh, you know and and I think we editorialized in in favor of pushing forward with these systems but I think it's time to to maybe you know take a step back and and I think the town board was good to enact the the moratorium and you know, and now the government governor is even taking a step back and saying, you know, we we need to explore these and make sure they're safe. How long was the Southampton moratorium? It's um, it's six months. They were originally looking at a shorter one, like three months. Um, and then they enacted a six month moratorium, which I imagine will get extended. Um, but the six month South moratorium also. Sorry, I'm sorry. Southhold South has it. They. They had to override the uh, Southern County Planning Commission's recommendation with a supermajority vote to to input a 12-month moratorium that they passed uh, actually to enact that. Um, there's such there's such a push to to do this, like as we all know, right? I mean, right. And and we in Riverhead heard all kinds of assurances from a variety of people at a couple of different public hearings. People, you know experts if you will like people who know about this stuff assuring town officials that this is safe this is not the same as you know the lithium batteries that come in you know that are not ul certified that come in, in the e -bikes portable and stuff, devices yeah. the e-bikes etc and these are different and you know, you know we got this nailed down it's all good and you know this one company that was making representations like that is you know, one of is a manufacturer of batteries that had this fire that burned for three days in Orange County um, at a facility that had just opened up the month prior. Like it was a brand yeah. new facility. So, I mean, it, I have, just, like call me cynical, Bill, Bill but I feel like you're you cynical. Know, I, yeah, I mean, like I wonder how much of of this um, initiative by the state at this point is more to allay people's fears and mm. you know maybe more pr than anything else i don't know but you have to wonder that at this point i mean because they're like all in with this stuff i mean yeah. six gigabytes by 2030 or something of storage right 
uh, the, uh, the governor announced it was the goal in right. she announced that in December, I think. So you know, just for the really for the listeners who for the listeners who aren't aware, these battery energy storage systems um, are are necessary as we move um, from fossil fuels to you know to wind energy, wind producing you know the windmills off the coast and and like in the solar farms um you know in in calverton or or whatever um you know and and the electricity produced from those is then you know transported to these battery systems battery facilities that store the energy and then can put that energy into the grid um you know when it's needed and then the state and other officials have been pushing you know the conversion to um you know to to more green energy but but again it it just feels like it's moving you know too quickly at this point you know what i'm curious about has anybody looked into what happens in europe they've had windmill technology there for years do they have these fires do they use different storage facilities you know it just occurred to me that you know we're kind of just getting into wind and solar here but that's been a thing for decades over there and i i just wonder if we've ever heard about similar fires happening um, there, there have been in, there have been fire incidents at facilities like this literally all over the world i mean um a lot in asia because uh, they were just like ahead of the curve with this stuff <clears throat> before us um there's actually um a really good database by what is uh, I, I believe i mean i looked into it a little bit but like a legitimate research uh entity and um, I could send you the link, but um, it actually document, it has a database of every best, they call them best battery energy storage systems, uh, if failure events around the world going back to like 2010. Um, and um, it's kind of like, it tells you like the location, the energy that they store, um, the type of, of battery, et cetera. Um, I'll, I'll send this link to you, but, um, you know, yeah, the answer, the short answer is, yeah, this has happened. And some of them have been, you know, major. I mean, the thing about this is that they have this, uh, this thing called thermal runaway, right? Where right. one battery ignites another. And so one of the features of the newer battery systems are that they're like isolated. They don't have like a bunch okay. of batteries in the same room or the same trailer. They have them in separate, you know, buildings, um, and that like helps. But you know, once these things catch fire, they there's really nothing that like firefighters can actually do. I mean, they pour like copious amounts of water on these fires, but they keep burning, and they essentially try to keep them as cool as they can and watch them. I mean, keep it from spreading. Yeah, I mean, they they literally have to just be, and and they did this for like three or or more days up in Orange County um, last, you know, July twenty seventh. Um, so, and they just have to burn themselves out, and I think that's yeah. the scary thing that the neighbors in in Hampton Bays are are, are worried about that. You get one of these events and, you know, and, and then they, you know, they, they tell people either to shelter in place or to evacuate, exactly. you know, within a certain mile radius of, of the there's facility. There's like air emissions to worry about. And then our, when the fire, when the water that gets put on the fire runs off the site, like what happens to that? Does it, you know, we live in like, you know, above our drinking water aquifer, right? So what happens there or you're near a water body? Um I, I well, there, don't know. No there are all these legitimate things to to look into for sure. There's no question that that we need to get away from 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 fossil fuels and 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 move to you know to these new technologies. But it's got to be done, I think, um, you know, in a, in a cautious way. And, and and if these battery energy systems aren't um, you know aren't the aren't the answer, then then maybe you need to move on to something else. There are, you know, I was also looking, NYSERDA, um, the New York Energy, whatever that, New York State Energy Research and Development something, authority, um, sorry, they um, they have a database of like every single battery energy storage system in the state, and there's like over 4,300 of them, and the vast majority of them are 
tiny little systems that people have in their homes and businesses because they have solar panels and they store the battery. You know, they use the battery system to store the energy that they produce. So, I mean, it's it's a but it's that's a, a big difference than one of these facilities that a you big know. difference, a hundred yeah. megawatts or something. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. so when the governor says incidents are extremely or exceedingly rare, I think was her phrase. Like, you know, yeah, they are. They are exceedingly rare, honestly. And so, I guess somebody's got to make the judgment that it's worth whatever risk there is to avoid catastrophic, you know, climate change issues. Yeah. I guess we should all be grateful. I mean, I made the I made the argument on a on a previous show that you know that that when they first invented the automobile and they first started putting gas stations on on yeah. every corner at the time, you know, all the the neighbors and residents were were concerned. Oh, it's a gas station. You're storing all this gasoline. It could blow up. And those were probably legitimate concerns at that point. Um, you know, and 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 so I kind of defended these systems, but um, I, I think now it, it's more about yeah, we're we're going to need these, but let's make sure that we're we're doing this in the safest way possible for um, you know for the communities. Um, you're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. I'm joined by my co-host this week, Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Our guests are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star, and Brian Cosgrove from right here on WLIW-FM. Chrissy, you wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, Spring School District and, and how they're starting to tackle um, their employee resignation program. What's um, what's the latest there? So, um you know, over the last five or so years, it's something like 80 employees of varying tenures, like, um, you know, new employees to really seasoned veteran teachers and administrators um, just up and left. And when some of them started to be really noticeable, like the principal and assistant principal resigned on the same day in February, they finished out the school year, but like they submitted their resignations on the same day. Um, people really started asking questions like, hey, what's going on here? And, you know, related to it, you know, there were a couple of really contentious school board meetings where um, people, teachers, parents revealed that there's a morale problem there. So this week, the school board had a work session where they really started acknowledging, you know, the, pr prior to this week, I honestly think that, you know, they were a little bit, you know, trying to play it down. Um, play the issue down. But, um, you know, it wasn't, they were like, it's not 80. It's, you know, it's not 80 resignations. It's like 49 resignations and 17 retirements. Well, well like, <laughs> you're starting to wrap better, those up and get pretty close, you know. Um, but so they started having this frank discussion, like, well, we're a cash strap district. We outside of paying our people more, which they really can't do because this year they had to pierce the tax cap at their budget. Right. Um, they're already in that financial, in financial straits a little bit there. Um, what can they do to incentivize people to stay? Because, you know, you don't want to see like your, they had a music teacher who was really great leave after a year. You know, she took a district a job in a district closer to home because she had had this, you know, crazy commute. They they can't control commutes. You know, they can't get into the land, the housing business, as we, you know, have discussed at length on this show. Housing is a problem, but you know, they they can't really pay people more, but can they take shorter steps or you know, smaller steps that could add up, like incentivizing carpools or restructuring the schedule of the school day so that teachers can take advantage of the South Fork commuter connection. And a group of Springs teachers actually just wrote a letter to the MTA, uh, a group letter saying, please add a train that accommodates more educators and school school staff, you know, because that's, you know, Springs at this point needs five more teacher assistants to start the school year, most of them for the special education program. And they have not had any applicants. Um, mm. any local applicants. They they get people from like out of state or up island saying, oh, I'll relocate here. 
the teacher assistant starts salary starts at like under thirty thousand dollars. Um, and yeah, where are you gonna where are you gonna where, live on? Where that? are you gonna live? What what are you gonna do? Like you can't even you can't even you know. Um, so this week they started acknowledging this issue and really exploring it. They they're saying like, you know, what bring us ideas. You know, they're at, they have a new district clerk. Actually, she's been on the job a few weeks. She spoke up and she's a parent in the district. And she spoke up and said, you know, had some suggestions um, from her position as both an employee and parent. So it's on their radar. They know that, you know, they have to the kids are the priority. And if they can't serve the kids with the appropriate number of staff, that's a problem. Um, and my question is, you know, is this a little too little little too late like their school's like a few weeks away from starting it's maybe a month away and what are the answers you know they're yeah. are they going to solve the problem in the next four weeks so so I, I think like all the school districts on on the east end have have faced issues because of the lack of affordable housing and 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 like you said it becomes a a, a commute issue if people have to drive in you know, three hours, three hours a day, which turns into five hours a day if you're coming from, you know, from point what's with 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 the traffic situation. Um, but it sounds like the that um that this might run a little a little a little deeper in springs that that there's some kind of morale issue because the district mm -hmm. ha hasn't hasn't faced these these issues head on. I don't know that any district has, but well, East Hampton has started the conversation. You know, their uh, gentleman, Kirby Marcantonio, has proposed housing on a school district campus in East Hampton. And, you know, recently, Springs employees have gone on to neighboring districts, you know, school districts, because they're getting paid more, you know, by East Hampton or Montauk or Amagansett. And, um, you know, it comes down to the resources. Springs does not have a huge commercial base tax right. base right so the burden is disproportionately on the residents shoulders the taxpayers shoulders as compared to other hamlets yeah i think the inequity in these school districts is going to become a really big issue because we see that all the time like some of the wealthiest communities out here pay the lowest school taxes don't even of, get me started on wayne scott <laughs> uh yeah i think i think i think we could do a pot a, a, a podcast series about all this Chris. sure yeah yeah i mean it's just maddening like the inequity and in, in tax rates and some of the the people that struggle the most or have the highest school taxes out here and some of the wealthiest communities have the lowest it's just kind of and it's not thing. a new issue you know 20 mm -hmm. years ago i read a book called savage inequalities that it talked about long island school districts it's and it's actually even the problem is even greater sometimes when you get up island into communities like Brentwood and Wyandanche and Roosevelt, mm -hmm. you know, like we still have it relatively good out here, you know, because of the wealth ratios. But um, school funding is it, it impacts mm -hmm. the kids, you know, it impacts health and wellness and economic, you know, equality. Right. And yeah. I mean, the whole there, idea there of fund, funding schools based on your local tax base is kind of crazy. And it really does build in the inequity that maybe, you know, desegregation tried to get rid of, you know. There has to be a longer conversation about consolidation at some point. It's just um, it, yeah, it just makes so. sense. Um, um, so we've we've uh, we've got a, a, a couple minutes left in that. I just was wondering if you wanted to. Uh, uh, talk real, real quickly about uh, about a, a book that uh, that you guys wrote about this week. Ah, yes. So we're talking about our local cookie queen. That's Kathleen King. Um, so if everyone knows, Kathleen is the founder of Tate's Bake Shop Cookies, which you can find all over the world now. And um, she started humbly right here in Southampton. Well, I'm in East Hampton. So she started next door in Southampton on North Sea Road. Her, um, she was an 11 year old child when she was told by her father that she needed to start making money for the farm because they weren't, you know, a very, you know, a wealthy family, but they had this farm. So she started baking cookies in the family kitchen and tied them up in little ribbons and sold them on the side of the road. And um, she was 11 and she had to like pay for her, her own school clothes. And um, as she said in a recent interview with me, she not only paid for her school clothes, she paid for her 
college and she has continued to be able to support herself well, quite well on her cookie empire. So a new book um, was just created, a picture book, Some a, a picture book author who didn't know Kathleen was looking for a story about a female entrepreneur because she had written extensively about Lego and Disney and Google, all of which were male um, founders. And she wanted a, a girl story for young girls and came upon Kathleen's story and asked Kathleen if she would be interested in um, writing a picture book with her. And she did. And it's called um, Cookie Queen, How One how one Girl Started Tate's Bake Shop. I don't know if you can see the photo, the cute little photo. There's the photo. Oh, there you go. But there she is. That's the that's the cover of the book. And here's an illustration from the book. Um, that's Kathleen and Tate, her father, driving to the to town, but I guess, you know, do their errands. Um, but Kathleen is going to be at Tate's Bake Shop in Southampton at 11 a.m. on Sunday, August. Is that the 6th, I believe? 6th, I think. Yes. Um, and she will be there with um, with her co-author, um, whose name is, is um, Loie Bundy Sickle, is the name of the, the children's book author who who wrote the book with her. And um, it's it's a really cute book. And um, and she's getting her close up now with the younger set after having been so familiar. She, she's 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 truly an an icon, I I think on on the East End, um, Brian Wright. I mean, she's just um, she's ep- epitomized the the American dream. She started at eleven years old, and um, and and she's uh, you know built this multi million dollar corporation, and you know sold a, a few years ago to um, to a larger distributor. And now you can find these cookies all over the world, I think, and right here, right here from North Sea Road, Brian. Yeah, I think it's a great story, you know, and uh, she was very, especially before we were acquired a few years ago, uh, she helped uh, keep the radio station afloat more than once. So I don't know if she's done. I would imagine she probably has, but I think she's been pretty good to the area sharing, sure. sharing some of the wealth. I don't know, but uh, I think I it's think a wonderful she does. story. pretty um, involved in philanthropic efforts in all sorts of areas on the East End and um, I do have a rather selfish comment to make in that um, anybody who has just seen the Barbie movie, I feel like this is the right moment for such a book. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> women can do anything is what I learned from the Barbie movie. There you go. <laughs> I have not yet seen the All Barbie right. movie. but it's Oh, you should see it. you should see it. See it. See it. Yeah. <laughs> do I have to wear pink? No. Okay, good. Because I don't Optional. have That's <laughs> not. All right. Let's. Let's let's end there on a on a high note. We are, we are, on a high uh, heel on a high heel note. Bill. On a high heel oh, note. Thank you. I like pink, but I never played with Barbies, so <laughs> this not too is, late. Uh, this has been behind the headlines. Um, thanks everybody for for listening. Our uh, my co-host um, uh, this weekend at Hinkle guests Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, and Brian Cosgrove. Um, host of, of the Afternoon Ramble. Thank you guys so much. This was a really neat show.